What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you guys don't know what Mystery Ranch is, well, you're doing it wrong and your back probably hates you. Anyways, it's close to the end of the season and you'll have an opportunity to recover here shortly, hopefully. Hopefully. But anyways, aside from the most well-built and the most comfortable wildland packs in the game, they make a ton of other stuff. Speaking of which, they make the Assault 21 in Wildfire Black and the three-way briefcase also in Wildfire Black. And why do I mention these two specific models? Well, one, probably because you need a uh, civilian gear kind of kit to throw all your civvy clothes and all your other stuff into a bag and throw it in the uh, the buggy rack or under the seat in the engine. But you can also make a cool little crew boss kit out of the three-way briefcase. Why am I going into detail about this, you might ask? Well, a portion of the proceeds from sales of this pack, these packs, are going to go directly back to you folks in the field that are submitting your applications for the Mystery Ranch Backbone series. So if you're looking to further your career, by getting some education under your belt. Well, now's your opportunity. Go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. And check this out. All you got to do is submit. And if your story is selected, if you have a compelling story and it's uh, chosen by the powers that be over there at Mystery Ranch, well, simple as that. You get a $1,000 grant to further your career. So it's dedicated to the people that go above and beyond in the line of duty and outside the line of duty. And I know that uh, stuff like medical classes and furthering education for the fire environment is not cheap. So Mystery Ranch is hooking it up. So once again, go over to www.mysteryranch.com. Check out the Assault 21 pack and the three-way briefcase. Tell your friends about it because that's going to a good cause. And check out the Backbone series. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that is none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. But not only do they make kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes, they make a ton of other stuff, like all of the apparel to represent that awesome Wildland Firefighter lifestyle, and all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. So what are you waiting for? Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out everything they have to offer. And once again, a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Meanwhile, while you're at it, while you're over there at hotshotbrewing.com, go check out uh, our exclusive merch, our uh, staples, if you will. So if you're looking to get your hands on one of those Wildland Firefighter or let me correct that one of those <laughs> fire fiend t-shirts or one of the band of brothers t-shirts. Well, now's your opportunity. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check out the little section that's called uh, T-A-P-P-S. It's the uh, anchor point podcast section of exclusive merch. So once again, www.hotshotbrewing.com. The Anchor Point Podcast would like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy booze over at the ass movement. And if you don't know what the ass movement is, well, it's the anti-surface shitting movement. It's an acronym. Pretty funny, but it's serious about conservation, specifically about burying your turds on public lands. I don't know about y'all out there, but that shit literally is disgusting. There's nothing more than I hate than going over to my favorite fly fishing spot or my favorite uh, chucker hunting area and seeing a human turd gift wrapped in toilet paper. It's disgusting and that shit needs to stop. You feel me? So if you want to help spread the good word about burying your turds and get the finest in poo bearing propaganda, head over to 
thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and check this out. Uh, listeners to this podcast can get 10% off their entire order by entering the code anchor point ass 10 at checkout. So once again, go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation. And if you don't know what that is, well, it is pretty freaking awesome. It is a collection, a catalog, a digital archive of sorts all about wildland firefighting. And these stories date all the way back to the 1940s. It's pretty bitchin'. But if you want to uh, go over there and find out more, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. It's pretty freaking epic. Oh, plus check this out. You have an opportunity for another scholarship. So if you're telling the story of wildland fire uh, across the world now, yeah, it's not just uh, sequestered to the United States, which is pretty freaking awesome. You have an opportunity to uh, win one of these $500 grants if you happen to be a writer, a blogger, a photographer, a cinematographer, anybody who's telling the story of wildland fire, head over to www.wildfireexperience.org and put your name in the hat. And if you're selected, well, that $500 grant is all yours. So Bethany, you have an awesome organization over there. Keep it up. Opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Oh, yeah. Round two. Yeah, we're having a double header this particular week. Yeah, rolling into October. It's rolling into wind down season, hopefully for a majority of you. So I know that I've been uh, a little bit lacking on publishing episodes, but figured I'd make it up to you by doing two episodes this week. But speaking of wind down season, I want to invite all of the listeners to join me in sober October. I'm going to give it a good old college try sans the drinking. And I implore everybody out there listening to join me if you want. It's good to sober up and dry out every once in a while. I guarantee you're going to sleep better. So if you want to join me. Yeah. Sober October. Anyways, speaking of mental health, since we're getting into the harder part of the season, we're going to have a gentleman on the show today and talk about mental health and his new book. He is a certified master practitioner in NLP hypnosis and mental emotional release, which is pretty damn cool. And he's also a certified fitness trainer and sports nutritionist. He actually just wrote a new book, which is going to be the main subject of this episode called six minutes for excellence. It uh, dives into leadership, peak performance, and mindset in wildland firefighting. It is pretty freaking cool. I dig the stuff. Now, it, fair warning, it is not going to be for everybody. It is a more alternative kind of medicine and uh, alternative approach to uh, leadership and peak performance. But I like to uh, 
explore those opportunities and I'm not married to my ideals. I enjoy this stuff and I'm fascinated by it, but keep in mind, S courses will never teach you excellence because excellence comes from within. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce my good friend for the second time on the podcast, Mr. Thomas Worm with Mountain Mind Tricks. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got my good buddy, Thomas Worm, Mr. Mountain Mind Tricks himself, master of the metaphysical arts. Not really, but some of the concepts you're talking about are pretty badass. I love it. I love it, dude. How you been? Oh, dude, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing year since we've last talked. And uh, I just want to say thank you to the podcast for like, you really helped so many firefighters because there's so many people reaching out to me for help for uh, releasing, you know, major issues going on with them. And, and it's been such an amazing year of helping wildland firefighters, like truly overcome some big things in their life and watching their transformations. And, and a big part of that is, is you, man, like getting me on the podcast and helping me get this message out there that, that, uh, you know, there's, there's a different way to think about this. And, and, uh, I really appreciate that. I just want to say thank you. Oh, well, thank you, man. But there's really no need to thank me. You're the expert here. Um, it's your work entirely. I'm just passing the message. I'm just bumping that message along the chain. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's been, uh, business has been great. It's been, you know, I almost got a whole year of no fire, but like in August, I saw the smoke and I was just like, I, I'm doing it, man. I got to go out. I got to get out there and get on the line. And, um, and then I got COVID. So, Oof. um, yeah, so no September has been a little rough, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, still recovering a little bit from COVID, but I'm coming back pretty strong. I got my herbs and, and a lot of acupuncture going on and, and doing well, man. Nice, man. Yeah. COVID is, uh, definitely not fun period yeah. end of day it sucked man i was sitting on the couch for like two weeks and i think my pulse ox got down to like 79 78 probably wasn't oh, good yeah. i probably should have went to the hospital but you know in my dumbass infinite wisdom which is completely lacking i just decided to tough it out and yeah. uh yeah it's probably pretty bad i don't know what your experience was but uh what was if you don't um, if you don't mind talking wow. about it Wow, man. Yeah. My, my, uh, oxygen only got down to like 94 mm-hmm. and I felt like I was dying. Like I felt so weird. And I felt like I was looking through like a fish lens camera. Like that was probably the most trippiest thing. Like my eye, my eyesight was different. My hearing was hypersensitive. Um, and, and, um, what I can say is there was a ton of emotional stuff that came up, like a ton of just anxiety and all this old stuff that I thought I, I worked through. And it was just like really interesting. Like, Oh, it was such a, a powerful experience. It was like two weeks of me just like, um, really working through some deeper stuff. And, and Oh, did we lose you? Oh, there you are. There you are. You cut out there. Oh, Oh, I cut out there. Sorry, man. Oh, that's okay. What's the last thing you heard? Uh, you were working through some deep stuff or like two weeks and then it kind of cut out. Yeah. So, so it's just like working through some really deep stuff and, uh, I'm so grateful for that. And it was a really interesting experience that way, but dude, it really sucked. Like that is, was probably the sickest I've ever been in my life. And I, and I had a mild case apparently. So, um, wow, man, it's no joke. No. Did you get the body aches? Not the body aches. I had a migraine that was like, I feel like an ax was just splitting my head. You know, it was just, it was gnarly. Yeah, dude. I had the the migraines. Um, I didn't ever catch like a fever per se, but 
when I slept, obviously I was sleeping through like a fever kind of state because I would wake up just drenched in sweat, man, from head to toe. Yeah, absolutely. Same, same. It was, it was, it was pretty rough, man. Like three weeks on the couch for sure. Like, and uh, yeah, it was rough, but here I am. Here we are. Takes a lot more to kill us, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, man, I definitely crushed some video games. I uh, I definitely worked through a lot of No Man's Sky and a lot of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which oh, is that's amazing. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I rewatched the entire X Files X Files series. All right, so there is some highly underrated sci-fi. They just don't make it like they used to, man. <laughs> I know. Fox so Boulder, Scully, so dude, I love it. <laughs> absolutely man oh man but yeah so mountain mind tricks right so for those who haven't listened to the previous episode with you um let's let's kind of recap that and explain what you do so so the big thing is is uh you know it's alternative complementary therapy right and and uh you know i don't diagnose i don't treat people really what I do is, is when somebody comes to me and says, you know, I have anxiety or I have this deep sadness, you know, some people describe that as depression or something like that. It's, that's really kind of the surface level in, in my practice. That's, I want to go deeper than that. And, and I want to start looking at the root cause and, and really what we do is we work with beliefs, with identity, with, um, the unconscious mind and how we, you know, how we process our reality, how we process, how we're feeling and thinking, we use that unconscious mind and change the beliefs in a, in a breakthrough session. And, you know, we can go deeper into the breakthrough session, but it's really about helping them heal on a mind, body, spirit level. And so I've gone through some more training since last week talked. So there's a little bit more energy. If the clients open with that, like energy, kind of like Reiki stuff, but more of a Hawaiian tradition. Um, so there's, there's a lot going on. And basically what we do is we, we take, we work with the timeline, right? So this unconscious idea of the timeline, in other words, everything that's ever happened to you is organized and time stamped in this chronological timeline and, and your, your unconscious mind can, uh, you're probably almost seeing it now, most people listening. So what we do is we take your mind from now and we go all the way back to the very first time you felt anger or sadness and that time differential that it, it changes the perspective of the first time you felt it. And, and sometimes that first time it gets weird. Like it could be past life. It could be during birth. It could be when you were two years old. It could be when you're 15, everybody's different, but that time differential actually changes the perspective. And, and soon there's this, there's this, uh, lesson that comes up. There's usually a learning, a different way of thinking about it. And that's when the emotions disappear. And what's so amazing is, is, uh, the big thing is, you know, in the clinical studies and all of my experience on so myself and my clients, there's never a relapse, you know, where we're traditional therapy, some other ways, sometimes there's, it comes back a little bit. And I just haven't seen that, which has been so amazing. And, and some of the transformations have just been so incredible with my clients. And it's just been an amazing year of helping firefighters, man. Yeah, you said you're helping out a ton. I mean, do you have it have an approximate number of how many people? You said you're going through a, a session a week, which is yeah, it was. I was no a session like, a day. It was it was uh, and I was doing a breakthrough session a week, which is a, a lot, right? Because you know I got a whole day of preparation, then I got a whole day of recovery for myself, just self care stuff. 
Um, and then it's generally two days, the session, we break it up into four hours, one day, four hours the next day. So it's not like this eight hours and I've done the eight hours and it's rough for both parties. It's, it's a long, long day. Um, and so I, I think I'm up to like 25, 28 people, which is, that, that's a lot. There, there's a lot of transformation there. It's been amazing. That's awesome, man. It's helping a lot of people. And uh, I've had I've heard nothing but great feedback from the services you have to offer. And you're genuinely genuinely helping people. It's awesome. Oh, man, I appreciate that. It's it's been incredible. And I think the big thing too is, you know, I look at it as this an integrative process. So a lot of times with my clients, I'll I'll mention, you know, or sometimes I, I advise them to create a team for themselves or, or professionals around them and like, you know, maybe they need to go get acupuncture. Sometimes they need to go to a chiropractor or massage or go get blood work so we can really dive deep into supplements. Um, and so the, the big thing is, is this is like an integrative process. It involves, it's a combination of a whole bunch of stuff. And especially, you know, my clients generally, they'll get three months of homework afterwards and we're going to follow up to the coaching program usually but there's books to read. There's meditations to do. There's, there's a lot of follow-up work and, and, I guess to really break it down simply is like the breakthrough session kind of unwires a lot of neurology. It actually clips a lot of neurology and then the homework, the coaching rewires the brain. And this is, this is, it's just so amazing how powerful. And, um, you know, when I think about my own breakthrough session and how profound it was during my training, it was so life altering and so, so deep that, um, I'm just a totally different person in a lot of ways, which I'm so thankful for. You know, I was a total mess. I, I needed the breakthrough session as well. I mean, it's not like I was ever, you know, perfect. I, I needed all this stuff to help me. That's that's how I got here. Yeah, that's the thing too, is those no one's perfect, man. That's that's the big thing. It's like we all have in some form or another our own things that we're combating through our life, right? But the purpose behind what you're doing is being able to identify them and then take those tools down the road and keep rebuilding on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh I just love the modality so much. And especially, you know, not every client's open to it, which is totally fine, but when we work with the energy and and bring in like the elements or um bring in like the highest self and things like this, it, it really deepens the experience and, and the clients that I have that are into energy and are a little bit more open. Um, it, it's been a lot more profound than just the, just the mental emotional release, which has been fantastic. And, you know, generally like in my intake form, I ask people, you know, how open are you to quantum mechanics, to spirituality, to alternative ways of thinking? And, you know, if somebody's a five or six, I'm probably not going to work with them because we got to be really open-minded to this stuff. Because what I do is I, I basically step into the reality as the practitioner, and then I help them kind of undo beliefs and undo ways of thinking and kind of help them question and just help them remember this process. So it's, it's really interesting to step into these people's realities and help them uncover, you know, what the truth is, because a lot of times it comes down to, these root causes, you know, the most common one is I'm not good enough or I'm not lovable or something that's so simple, but so deep that, um, when we pull that out, when we change it, it, it really has this cascade effect of all of a sudden that one belief takes out maybe 30 beliefs. Yeah. Well, we all have these preconceived notions of what we are. And I think it all boils down to kind of like identity, right? And you mentioned this earlier and you play with a lot of these identity concepts and 
I know as a former firefighter and as you well know as a quasi-current firefighter. I mean, you you were a firefighter for a long time, but now you just do it for fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, we get very adhered to this identity of a firefighter. Do you think that that may have some of these, uh, like, I, I guess, some of these things that come out later in life? Do you think that's the reason why we struggle with releasing this old garbage in our brains? I mean... I think the identity and and I think honestly you're 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 on to something huge here. I do think there's this identity crisis in wildland fire where especially the feds, like the feds are the worst on this where it's like like there nothing else matters, no family, no nothing. I'm a firefighter for six months, and that's all I care about. And it's like that is pretty damaging, like during the career, I think, in some ways. But I, I think the big thing is the stress. And especially I, I want to get deeper into this where, you know, stress, you know, if we look at some of John, Dr. John Sarno's work about, you know, 95, 90% of illness, disease, pain is actually stress related and has a psychological root. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying your physical illness isn't real. What I'm saying is the root cause is actually psychological. And if we look at that, a lot of it's stress, stress related. And so I think this is the big thing. And, and honestly, when stress gets compounded over season, over season on top of, you know, childhood trauma or something happened when somebody they were younger and there's, there's, there's a deep sadness, there are a deep anger or fear. Now we're just compounding and compounding and compounding. And, um, that stress is just adding onto those deeper, deeper level issues that are going on. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And actually, a uh, previous guest of mine actually said that a lot of like back pain, these like incon- like these inconveniences of like existing, basically elbow pain, knee pain, back pain, whatever. A lot of it manifests from some sort of psychological root cause. So, from his point of view, matching up with yours as well. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I would just everybody listening, if they're like kind of like this is interesting, like read the divide of mind by John Sarno, or if you got back problems, read his book, healing the back pain, uh, healing back pain. And, and the big thing is like, you know, from my experience, I, I broke my neck, gosh, when I 2009 surfing accident and I had chronic pain for years and I mean, almost 10 years. Um, and then I did a really simple technique that I learned through this modality pain was gone. And now sure. I go to the chiropractor still, you know, if I get stressed out, my neck pops out, but it's like, I was going to the chiropractor every week for like years and years. And now it's like maybe every couple of months. Yeah, and now it's just from a mental kind of tool that I use to release some baggage. Huh? Yeah. Dr. Anthony Harrell actually confirmed that too. And it's, it's just funny that you brought that up and it kind of comes full circle into the, I guess, more traditional medicine kind of aspect, that component of it. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's so much science, like we are so blessed to live right now of just, there's so much science coming around to all this stuff of, you know, the consciousness, the, the mind body connection, all this stuff. There's so much, so much science out there that's, um, that's backing all this. And that's what I love about, you know, six minutes for excellence, which we're going to talk about later more in depth, but I did a lot of research, man. There's a ton of citations and a lot of science behind the stuff that I'm talking about. Absolutely. Oh yeah, man. No, it's just it's it's cool because you, you don't have to get locked into this very traditional aspect of medicine, right? I mean, what is medicine at the end of the day? Is it going to 
your MD? Is it going to your doctor? Is it going to your chiropractor? Is it going to someone like yourself? Is it going to, I don't know, an ayahuasca retreat and getting rid of all that stuff? Is it doing a heroic dose of some hallucinogen under supervision, right? What is medicine? Right. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's a beautiful question of what is medicine. And, and I think one of the big things to me is, is how strong the mind is. And I'm, I'm going to always come back to the mind because that's, that's my modality. That's, that's the way I operate on is, is kind of my, my reality. But to me, I think the way placebo works and the way how much placebo is in every single medical study to me just proves, and we can talk more about the placebo experiments, but it, to me, it just proves the power of the mind. And you look at Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and, and a lot of those people in his retreats are overcoming stage four cancer and all these crazy ailments, diseases, life-threatening things through meditation. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, and they're not just doing it like in a woo way. They're hooking people up to sensors, EEGs, and showing the brain activity, showing that they're not just having you know, this mystical experience, but they're, they're actually exploding with gamma, uh, brain waves and that they're experiencing like a thousand times of normal brain function. All of a sudden their disease is gone. And then they go, you know, they feel like it's gone and they go and actually get x-rays and all the CAT scans and their disease is actually gone from their body. Um, it's, it's mind blowing. I mean, how does that happen? How does that work? We don't know. Science can't prove that, you know, spirituality can talk about it, but science it's very skeptical, which is, you know, that's where science is sometimes. Yeah. Well, science is designed to be skeptical, you know, I mean, that's, that's the whole root of science. It's, it needs to be reproducible. It needs to be documented. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole purpose of science is to be skeptical, but when you get into the manifestation component of your mind and your body and that connection, some of it is unexplainable, but also if you put somebody who's going through a very deep meditation through a scan of some sort, like a, I don't know if you could do like a, a PET scan or something like that. Medical jargon, not my forte, but like you were saying, their brain activity just explodes. Like even more so if they're doing like a complex math problem or listening to Beethoven, Bach, any music that they're excited about. Absolutely. And, and, to me, I, I wonder, right. I wonder if sometimes this is what's happening during mental emotional releases. We're really, really taking the mind somewhere where it just, there's so much information. There's so much happening with the timeline therapy and the mental emotional release. It's like, gosh, I would love to see a brain scan of what's actually happening because, um, you know, like I said before, you know, we're pretty sure it it clips neurology, but it'd be so much, it'd be amazing to see that. And unfortunately all the studies that have been done are very private, privately funded. There's not a lot of research on, um, uh, like a made, like major research by other universities and things like that. So there needs to be more research on all of it. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, that's because it's not traditional medicine, whatever that means. Like we said, I mean, it doesn't mean it's not effective. I mean, if you were to even combine a traditional context of medicine with something like what you're an alternative one, like you're doing, that could have compounding effects to be even more effective than just one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. And and the clinical studies that was done with MER, what's so amazing is they um, they actually did you know group A and B, and A was just traditional therapy, um, and then group B was mental emotional release with traditional therapy. 
this is this is mind blown because the therapy traditional therapy was like a 65 to 70% success rate with like a don't quote me on these numbers you got to look it up but it's like somewhere around like 24 25% um relapse rate um and then there was like a 5% rehospitalization so there was some success but some of it came back where the mental emotional release in the clinical studies for depression was 100% successful no shit. with 0% relapse, which is, which is mind blowing. Like that's, that's huge. Um, and you know, that was specifically on depression and it, it works with a ton of other stuff, but that was the research done. And that's, it's just so beautiful. It is a beautiful thing too. And a lot of people like to kind of think that alternative forms of medicine, like what you're doing is kind of like woo woo and just like, Oh, it's just, you know, just some people just doing their thing, you know? It's not really the. I mean, it's not the case. I mean, this might be effective for a lot of people out there, but I think people are more apt to not try it because it's kind of outside the box. It's outside the norms, right? Right, right. And I think this is a good, really good segue into like, what is mental emotional release? Well, it comes from NLP, which is like neuro linguistic programming. I know it sounds like that sounds crazy, right? But really, it's neurology. Linguistics is like our language, um, you know, how we create thoughts and feelings through our language, the images in our mind and the programming. I think the best way to explain it is like, you know, when you get a new smartphone, right, you just load it up with a ton of apps, right? You, you get your, your social medias on there. You get all those old apps that you used to have and you load it all up. Well, when we're from ages zero to seven, we're basically a new phone and our parents, our family, or the TV, everything is just loading apps and loading apps and loading apps. And generally we kind of walk around with those apps for the rest of our life unless you actually do some work with hypnosis or the unconscious mind and so where all this came from was actually it came out of the 80s from a, a hypnotherapist and a computer programmer and they That's got a strange together. combination i know very strange right hmm. and they got together and they they just wanted to model like who has the like is the most successful person in the world who communicates the best who is the best hypnotherapist, the best therapist who was actually like creating results. And they just, all they did was they interviewed these people and learned how they did it. How do you communicate? How do you hypnotize somebody? And, and that's really the basis of it is everything in NLP. And, and what I do is it comes back to how, you know, how did you create that problem inside your mind? Because, you know, the way I look at it and, and, and the client's going to look at it this way too, is like, they, they actually created the problem and it's not their fault. That's just the way the human mind works is that we've actually created the problem because that gives us the power to undo it. And that, that's a really big piece of, of what I do is empowering the person to undo the things that, you know, those limiting beliefs that were kind of given to them. Yeah. That I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough runner. I am a bad partner or I am this, I am that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that that's, it's so empowering. It, it just empowers the person to really take ownership for themselves and for their, their mind, body, spirit. And, and I think that's one of the most important things that I do is I help them become empowered because honestly, my clients, like, I don't want to see them for six months. I don't want to see them for three months. I want to do the breakthrough session and, and do some coaching and, like I want them to be free. You know what I mean? Like I don't want them to be in my practice for very long. Yeah. And I think this is a big difference that I want them to be independent. And so I give them tools to when things come up to release it, to go deeper, because, you know, you could do 
another breakthrough session a year. You know what I mean? If you want to go deeper and deeper and deeper, it's just how much comfortable, how much release do you really need to be, to get back to being functional? Right. I gotcha. Yeah. And that's the thing is like uh, the whole traditional model. I mean, that's like a, Oh yeah, you need to come in every two weeks or something like that. Right. There's like a schedule. There's a schedule and it's, it's, it's a perpetual thing to where if you stop, you kind of get it stuck in your head to where if you stop, you're going to be helpless. Whereas you in the alternative context, you're setting people up for success for three, six, eight, 10, 12 months, 12 months, you know, I think that's a lot, has a lot more value to a traditional context of medicine. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think the, the big thing is that it's not that things come back. I've never seen that before. Uh, it's just never happened in any of my clients or myself or all the colleagues that I work because there's a huge group of us that talk all the time. Um, it's just never happened before it showed in the clinical research. Um, but there it's like an onion, there's deeper layer stuff that comes up and it's like, I want the client and, and, and gosh, my hope is someday the wild and fire community is this way too, is that when they get triggered, when there's sadness comes up, when a negative emotion comes up, it should, it should be exciting in a way of like, you know what, there's some baggage here. There's something unresolved and I need to deal with it. And, and I get to grow and I get to become even better. And that is a very tough mindset to get to, but it's so such a different way to look at negative emotions. And, and, you know, um, after a breakthrough session, it's not like you're never going to get angry again. You're never going to get sad again. It's that you're going to have this healthy transition of, I got angry for 60 minutes and now it's, I don't care. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, before the breakthrough session, you're kind of, some people are stuck on anger. Like they've been angry for 30 years or 10 years, or it's like, it's eats them inside. Right. It kind of makes you like toxic, you know, it's, it's just like taking a plate and just putting garbage on it. Eventually you're going to have to throw that garbage away. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and I guess more of the Hawaiian way to think about this. And, and I, I, this is just, it makes so much more sense to me is that basically when we feel a bad emotion, we, we kind of, we have a, a marble, right? We'll take a marble and we'll put it in a little black bag. And, and the next time we get angry, kind of in that same category, that same frame, we'll put another marble in that bag. And we just keep adding to these black bags to the point where all of a sudden you have 50 of these black bags that are so freaking heavy. They're weighing you down. And this is more of an energetic way. And it's not, these things are literally in your energy field in the Hawaiian system where, um, when we release these black bags, there's, there's a seed inside that we miss. There's a seed of knowledge. There's something to learn. And that's where the real release comes. Like I talked about in these, you know, this is why we refer to it as baggage is because it's, it's literally weighing you down. And, and I can't tell you almost every client will say, I feel 15 pounds lighter. That's a very common thing, which is so interesting because you literally are, releasing so much out of your body. Some people even get like a detox response where they get a headache or a rash or something where it's like their whole body is actually going through a detox. It's really interesting. That's a trip. It actually has a physical manifestation. Absolutely. And I've seen back pain and I've seen pains like you're talking about completely gone. No shit. I mean, it, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's really wild how strong the mind body connection is. Um, and, and actually one of the most effective things that I use for pain is, uh, Louise Hay has a whole book. She mapped out emotions and pain very specifically. 
and it's very targeted affirmations. And generally two to three weeks, those that pain is going to be gone just with affirmations. And, and of course the release work, but the affirmations to really back it up. Um, it, it's really interesting. The pains in our body are speaking to us unconsciously. That really is the way I would, I would phrase it. That makes a lot of sense though. I mean, there's a, like you were, we were talking about earlier, the mind is a very powerful thing. I mean, you can control your heart rate, you can control your respiratory, you can control a lot of things. And some people, like you're saying, have even overcome serious illnesses and diseases. So it's not unheard of to train your mind, to train your body and have them talk and effectively communicate back and forth and become one whole person, right? It's not unheard of by any means because people do it all the time, which transmissions me into the affirmations and the um, manifestations element behind your work. If you look at all the masters of high-level sports, whether it's boxing, running, tennis, basketball players, all of these high-level athletes, they oftentimes go through some sort of hypnosis or something that you're doing, these concepts that you're talking about. Yeah, it's so true. And, and, you know, I know we talked about this off air, but really the, like Michael Jordan, he was such a great basketball player. Right. And one of the main things he did was hypnosis. And, and this is something I talk about uh, at great lengths in the book is, is, um, and I'll take one step back because you know, my goal with this stuff is to get our wildland firefighters back to peak performance. Like we want to get back to peak performance. And I say that very specifically as like an athletic thing, because we are super athletes, right? Um, and that's becoming more and more apparent that we are super athletes out from the line. It is, it is wild um, how hard we push our bodies. And so um, it's really getting back to peak performance is using the mind in those visualizations through hypnosis or other NLP techniques. The biggest thing is visualization. And, and, I, and I think there's a study here that, that really fits well. And that's like a free throw study that they did years ago. And Basically there was three groups. So they got tested before, like for their three throw, uh, three throw, uh, accuracy, how many they made this and that. Right. So they did a whole bunch of measurements on that group. A could not practice at all. Like no practice couldn't hit the court. Couldn't even think about basketball group B was, uh, they could practice in their mind. They could only practice in their mind and just visualize making, making baskets group uh, C could only practice on the court. Now, when they went back, um, and, and it was about 21 days before they tested them again, group A, there was zero improvement. Still group at baseline. Yep. Yeah, still at baseline group B with only practicing in their mind, they improved 23%. Okay. 23%. That's pretty good. That's pretty damn people, big jump. Yeah. People that practiced on the court, they improved 24%. Really? That's wild. That is wild percent difference. Yeah. And, and this is something I go pretty deep into is really our brain has no, it can't find a difference between waking, dreaming and visualization. It just, it, it can't tell the difference. It doesn't know. And there's a whole bunch of studies on people building muscle through visualizations. I mean, it's very, our mind is so strong. It really blows your mind. (laughs) <laughs> I see what you did there. No, that's that's a funny thing too, because I understand that uh, some of these techniques and some of this alternative um, medicine is being even implemented into the military, amazingly enough. And talk about the last, 
I guess, vestige of humanity that would be into this thing or taking this thing serious. If the military is looking into this and actually considering it and providing some research into it, well, they're doing it for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, as I wrote this, this book that we're going to talk about, the, the big thing I really wanted to capture and like the very end of the book, I talk about it. Of, I, I think we're just tapping into like the human potential. I mean, we're like at like 10% of what we're potentially, what we can do. And, and, um, there's just so much potential of the mind of the human body that is, is like unexplainable almost. There's, there's so much to learn about the body. There's so much to learn about the mind and the connection and how, how far can we push that? And, and I would say that's why the military is involved. They're are thinking about this stuff because, you know, maybe the secret to being peak performance is, is the mind. Oh, absolutely. And even Brent Ruby was saying that we are some of the best like, I guess, tactical athletes, if you will, in the world. And the only analog to the military is for the US military to what they're doing downrange and overseas is us. And actually that the military is looking at us as far as grant funding for studies so they can do research on human performance because we're the perfect analog for our nation's military. So now we might be able to get some funding to get some more research out of stuff like that you're doing. Oh, that's, yeah, that's so amazing. And, and I truly believe, especially after I went through the whole fitness training course and sports nutrition, all that stuff, a lot of that, that when I went through that, there was so many thoughts and so many times I just thought, how are we wildland firefighters? How is this even possible? How are we out there for 16 hours at this heightened, you're basically in this endurance um, endurance burning kind of like state where your whole body is you're working out for 16 hours. Like oh, yeah. this is actually insane. Like no other profession I can think of besides the military is actually doing that. And it really does push science. It pushes the human body um, beyond what we understand because that's how hardcore the job is. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, the, the strength of mind that you need to have to successfully perform the duties of your job. That's even more unexplainable in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, one of the things about physical fitness is I think the foundation of being fit is actually mental, emotional. You know, if we got a ton of stuff going on, like our workouts are going to suck. We're not going to build muscle that well. We're not going to go back to that relaxed digest. We're not going to build our immune system back it's just a bad deal. Like we really got to focus on the mind body, um, together. And, and I think that's a, that's a huge piece of this peak performance is, is that mind body connection. Oh, absolutely, man. And I can hundred percent agree with that statement because every time that I've had to go through like a death march of a hike or a gnarly ass run, if things weren't right with me, like in my head, my performance sucked. It didn't matter if I was well-rested, well-recovered. The truth is I was not recovered because my mind wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think this is, you know, like with the three days off coming this fire season with the feds, like that's a start and that's amazing. Like we've really got to look at, you know, to me, I would love to see like a 10 on six off. I mean, something where we actually get to reset and not just pack your bags for two days. Right. Um, cause that, that's, that's the life, man. You, you go out for 14 and, and now it's three, but you know, forever, you basically pack your bags, you do laundry and you're out. 
Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like with these new bills coming down the, down the line, especially with the efforts from grassroots, man, they're even trying to implement mental health programs and saying, Hey, yeah, you have up to seven days, which isn't quite a lot, but it's something you might have up to seven days to, uh, basically take a mental health day. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's beautiful, man. And I think something to hit on here and, and I know maybe some people disagree, it doesn't matter, but, um, I just in my career, you know, I was in for 14 years and, and, uh, looking at the fire behavior, the fuels, the, the, the wooey situation, I really do think we're in like this new normal and that the stress like compared to even five years ago is on a whole different level. And I mean, it's just whole towns are gone. You know, there's, there's the fatalities are just so hard on us. Like, even if we're not there, it's hard on us. Right. If we hear it through the sit report or whatever, it's hard on you. Like, it's just, there's so much stress and I think there's so much more. And for me on the federal side, I, I truly think the office is a hundred times more stressful than the actual fire stuff. And so I think that's like our retention rates is, is like stress related. I think it's a hundred percent stress related and our voices not being heard by, um, like, I'll just be honest. I, I think the upper levels of, of the federal agencies just don't listen and they have no idea what's happening on the ground they just don't, they don't understand and they don't get it. And they need to be heard and thank God for grassroots. Cause I think that's happening now. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is I, I think that Nipsey is listening right now. I think that they are a lot more open and receptive to these new concepts, right? The way we do business. And you're right. I mean, if you even look at uh, Stephen Prine's pyrocene document, right? His, his, philosophy on the pyrocene era, how we've entered the pyrocene. In the short 11 years that I've been in fire, I can 100% agree that fire seasons are becoming longer, hotter, more intense, more destructive to the wooey, more destructive to the forests. I mean, it's trending one direction and now we're being constantly asked to do more with less. I mean, sands to pay and everything like that. I mean, a lot of people are moving on from this career because they don't have that support. They don't have a, a cornerman, you know, telling them how to fight. That's, that's the big thing. And I think that these stresses are just coming to a, a head and they're coming to a breaking point to where people are going to have no choice, but to listen, especially those higher up managerial positions in NIFSI. But we also got to look at them too and say, we understand your dilemma because their hands are tied. I mean, this is a bureaucracy and the gears of bureaucracy are infinitely large and hard to turn. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think something I learned throughout my career, because I'll be the first one to challenge leadership. That was just kind of my style. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't really agree with this. Like, where's my LCS? I'd, I'd hammer that every time with the task force. Like, you know, yeah. Why are but, we doing this? Yeah. And, and the, the big thing that I learned and, and I talk about this, uh, in the book is, is really like, I think a better approach is building a relationship with that person and learning who they are and like getting to actually like build rapport. And, and so we can actually agree and collaborate on a, maybe a new idea or a different way of doing something. And, and because I think when we just say, you know, they're not good leaders or they didn't do a good job, we're really, that's not productive for the mission that really takes away from getting the job done. And I think this is, this is a big lesson for me in my career. And I, I just want to pass this on as like, 
even though you don't agree with your leader, superior, or whoever it is, maybe you can build a better relationship. And, and that really comes down to rapport and using those language skills and, and, and learning to reframe their position in a way that they, you know, it's not super obvious. Like maybe there's a different way to think about this. Yeah. Kind of throw the OODA loop in there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, the OODA loop disruptor rather. But yeah, I think that, um, I mean, we're talking about this off air as well. And we're talking about how we're taught to communicate, but we're not taught how to communicate. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, you know, the, the big piece of this in the book, chapter two, chapter three is all about communication. And, and the big thing that, that I go into is, is communication starts with body language. And, and actually it's like 56%, something like that of communication is body language. The, I think the next one's like 30% or something like that is, um, and I probably don't have the numbers right, but it's close to that. It's like 30% is, is your voice tonality, kind of the way you say things, um, the pitch and, and tempo, how you're speaking and really 7%, 7% of, um, communication is, is, is words. And that's kind of mind blowing that, that words. Yes. I would agree that those are the most powerful and the most specific and the most like really important, but it's only 7%. And so that's where I start off is like teaching you how, how do you build rapport with somebody? Not, not like as a friend, but like unconsciously, how do you match their and mirror their body language? How do you speak to them the way they're speaking? Um, then we go deeper into keywords and like, and, and like how to match their language patterns and things like that. And exactly what you're saying, this is how to communicate. And, and I don't think this was, ever taught to the wildland fire community ever. Hell no. Um, that and, and what's, Oh, sorry. I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say that. And you're also, uh, kind of backed into a corner because a lot of our communications are basically reduced down to a radio, right? You can't get, Absolutely. you can only get a fraction of the things that you're talking about when it comes to communications through a radio transmission. Yeah, absolutely. And now this is where voice tone, tempo, pitch, all that stuff becomes you know, 90, 93% or whatever. Um, and that's, you know, and I think this is where there's so much miscommunication on the radio because like when somebody's speaking really, really fast and then you come to them and you speak really slow, it totally, it just breaks the rapport. It makes them confused. They don't get it. They actually don't hear what you're saying. And so if you went to that person and spoke really fast and use some of their words that they use, they would actually understand you better. And that, so you're right. Like the radio stuff is, is a lot more complicated, but even in our briefings, right. There's just, there's so much, we can learn so much in the wildland fire community about communication. And we all know communication is a big piece of all the common denominators and all the fatality fires. There's usually a communication component in it. And so I think there, there's a lot of room to grow here, like huge amounts. And, and NLP actually has modeled the best communicators in the world. I mean, people that used NLP, People like Barack Obama, Oprah Winfrey, like these people that could speak and move mountains just with words, right? They used NLP. And, and this is, I would love to see Wildland Fire really implement some of this stuff. Oh, yeah. It's like having Morgan Freeman talk to you, right? When Morgan Freeman is on the TV, you kind of just gravitate towards his right. voice, right? 
Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just like Barack Obama, you know, like I, I, Excellent I think he, he put, he would put you almost in a trance the way he spoke because he was such an excellent speaker. It was just really powerful the way he spoke. And, and I think that's, that's a glimpse of what we can do in wildland fire is like to actually captivate the audience of, you know, people aren't scribbling on their IAPs. They're not fiddling with their phones. You're like, you know, they're listening to you and they're going to get the job done 10 times better because they actually get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it's that whole thing. It's like, if you, I'm sure you've been in a fire before where the guy from, or the girl or the person from, I don't know, all the way across on the East coast, say Florida, for instance, comes to a major West coast fire and does like their plans briefing or their ops briefing. You start to sit there for a second and be like, uh, what? Yeah. So you're kind of listening to their voice, their timbre, their pitch, everything that you're talking about, their body language. And it's, there's even cultural differences that you need to relate to is what I'm getting at because the way they fight fire in Florida is vastly different between Utah or Oregon or wherever on the West coast. Right. Absolutely. And even like, so a key word, right. Is Ridge. Like if you go down to Mississippi and they tell you to go burn off that Ridge, you're going to get lost because it's not a freaking Ridge. Right. It's like a little tiny hump. That's like 10 feet high. Right. Totally different Ridge than what we're used to up in like salmon idaho right it's so those key words are so misunderstood and I, and i just through my career like our key words there's we literally speak a different language in wildland fire and those words are very trendy and they move and they kind of follow like kind of the it's almost like an instagram fad right like bumping could be changed to something else next year so it's really important for us to be clear on on our keywords. It's huge. And actually repeating our keywords to the other people that we're communicating to in. Yeah. It's just the way we speak and the words we use. It's there's so much power behind that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And even like regionally, like somebody from South ops in region five is going to say something completely different from North ops. I mean, even though they're closely related, like you're saying, those cultural differences and those colloquialisms. Did I say that right? Did I mess it up? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, got it. There we go. There's your 50 cent word of the day. Um, they're going to change, right? So finding common ground in communication and truly understanding and being present during that communication, I think is one of those key components is what you discuss as well in your book. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think a big, you know, I think what we're hitting on here, a concept is, is that the person that's the most flexible is going to be the leader at the end of the day because we have to adapt to the environment. We have to adapt to the new ways of thinking, to new perspectives. And if we're closed and not really open to actually saying maybe like, I think we're pretty good at this in fire, like tactically and operationally, but culturally we're not. And this is a big thing. You know, the person that is the most flexible and thinking is actually going to be the best leader. And that's, that's a really interesting concept, isn't it? Semper Gumby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always exactly. flexible. But yeah, I mean, a lot of these concepts that we talk about, I mean, they're when when something I guess gets culturally ingrained into a a crew or a region or I don't know, a different state, it's hard to break those habits. So to bring about the awareness to understand each other and communicate more effectively, I think that's going to help a lot of people out there. Yeah, yeah, and and I think with the communication stuff, one of the big ones is watching you know, we're always taught, especially squad, squad boss level, engine boss, crew boss, we're, we're taught like, you know, look out for your crew, like watch your crew. 
But when you get in tune with people's body language and you you know how they are, you like you'll see when something's off. You can tell, and it's like I think this is such a good way to really open the door for more conversations. For you know, like I think when I was in aviation, I really liked the gar, you know, the green, amber, red because it it opened the door for a conversation for someone to be like, you know what, I don't think I should be on the IA load today. I'm just not feeling it, and it's like okay, like that's awesome. Let's switch you out. Like, and, and having those discussions operation, like how much more safe are we going to be if we're open to saying, you know what, I probably shouldn't cut today. Cause I got like this thing going at home. Like my girlfriend just broke up with me. I shouldn't be chainsawing today. Yeah. I got too much on my mind. Right. And that's, I think that's, that's a, that's a big stepping stone that I've, I've seen that happen, but it's not super common yet. I think it's the pride too. I think that, I mean, the, the GAR is a very valuable tool, especially in the aviation world. But I bet you can probably adapt that GAR to something that's more condensed, right? So something that's more adaptable to say, whatever situation you're in, right? Whether it be a hotshot crew or a type two crew or a WFM or something like that, right? These concepts that are in the GAR, they're only there to get a a better sense of situational awareness of your crew in its regards to the operation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, I think it, it kind of just paints this picture of kind of what's going on internally with the crew a little. Like I think the guard just kind of opened the door. I didn't really walk through it, but it was it was a good like early beginning to something that could be really powerful for every single crew. Like what if morning briefing included something like that, where we're, we're actually talking about how we're feeling like not in a really like mushy way, but like, how are we doing today? Are we operationally fit or maybe we're at like 90% we're at like 60% today. That's great. Like maybe we'll adjust something. That's fine. Yeah. Um, Dial huge. the tempo back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's huge. And uh, yeah, first time I was ever introduced to the GAR concept, it was with Vegas Helitech. And uh, yeah, they they still use it today. And it's great. And I've seen other Helitac crews use that methodology to like get a bigger picture of where they are as far as operational capabilities, right? And that, it's not necessarily capabilities. It's like your overall... I don't even know how to put it into context, really. It's just like, where are we at as a crew? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to me, it, it, it was almost a piece of risk management, but it really looked at the human factor in a lot better way. And, and I think you said it perfectly right there. <laughs> one of these, one of the things in this book that I, I really want to highlight is, is that I think we're all, we're all familiar with what human factor is, but we have no idea what to do with that. Like we can't solve that. We're not taught how to do that. And it's like, this book gives you the tools to actually change some unconscious level stuff. And, and I think there was a long process of copywriting and editing to really get this information to, to the wildland fire folks. And, and I just, I'm excited for this to get out there because I think it's really going to help people adjust that human factor. Like that's not just pointed out, but like, how can we solve it or move through it or process it in a, in a healthy way. Right. And, I think this is like, you're seeing the military looking at us. And I think this is the next evolution of like, how do we get back to peak performance as fast as possible? How do we do that? And, and to me, it's, it's really the mindset and, and going deep into the mindset and be able to flip that switch. Right. Yeah. You turn it on or off. But I think the, another concept that is in your book here, that's kind of overlooked is identifying those, those issues 
and dealing with them because you can't deal with them unless you identify them, right? Absolutely. And and actually the first chapter, there's a, the first chapter is, is called, uh, uh, lead yourself before you lead others. And that's a huge concept. And, and I would say, um, you know, we all know extreme ownership and, and Jocko and he's like amazing. Right. And I took that idea just a little bit deeper. Let's take extreme ownership for ourselves, for the way we're feeling, for the things that we've created in our life. We really got to deal with that stuff before we're actually a leader. And, and I would say one of the big things is, is I kind of adapted some of the things in the RPG. Like there's a, um, there's actually a size up, but it's like an internal size up. Like let's do an internal size up for yourself and really look at like, what are some of the factors that are affecting me? Um, and I really took some of those like 10 and 18s and really, really adapted those to, to mental, emotional health. And, and so there, there's some stuff like that. That's I think can be really helpful for people. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing too, is like, it's a continual process, right? So you got to keep doing this to identify and be effective. Right. Absolutely. And it's just like, you know, our safety zones are going to move. Our escape routes are going to change. Our lookouts are going to move with us. And it's like our human factors are just, it's, it's another piece of the environment. It's another piece of risk management. And, and it's like, how, how do we deal with that? And, and, and I think this is the future of mountain mind tricks is really like, how do you deal with that human factor and how do you get back? How do you, how do you become the most resilient wildland firefighter you possibly can be? And, and um, that's the mindset I just want to like promote out there for everybody in the wildland fire community is peak performance. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing you, you, I guess your life literally depends on it of peak performance, right? I mean, it's no small, uh, task that we have to do. I mean, we're in a very austere environment and you know, shit happens, but being prepared for it and being at that top physical performance and mental performance, that's a game changer. Absolutely. And, and something, you know, I talk about in here is, is really, I think as firefighters, we're, we feel our gut instincts a lot and we don't really talk about that, but we go with it quite a bit. Oh, and, 100%. and I don't, yeah. And I want to go deeper in that and actually talk about, you know, we have a heart center as well, which is really kind of, is this the right thing? Kind of our moral compass. Right. And then we have our logical mind. And when we align all three of these, our gut instinct, kind of our intuition or moral compass and our logical mind, and we, we get all three of those integrated and working together now we're on a whole different level of leadership. We can make decisions and have that conviction of like, this is the right thing to do. And the only way we get there is, and there's a ton of science on this through the heart math Institute is we got to have positive emotions inside our body. We got to have that gratitude, that love, that actual positive feeling inside of our heart to actually connect these um, neurological centers. Because, you know, I don't think a lot of people know that gut actually has more neurology than the brain. And the heart has more neurology than the brain too. So there's this whole brain ner- nervous system that we're just not tapping into. And, and, and that would be like the next level, I think, in my mind. I gotcha. So connecting all three of these elements and just being looking at, I guess, human performance from a more holistic kind of view. Yeah. And, and to me, the gut instinct, right? It's like, okay, are we going to turn on this road? Am I going to cut this tree? Am I going to repel this right now or not? But also like, does it feel right? Like, does it feel right? And does it make sense operationally? And we can check all three of those boxes and feel good about it. I think we get, like, generally we have a solid plan because sometimes your gut instinct is going to be wrong because you're going to be fearful or sometimes that can be wrong for sure. And sometimes 
you just get a weird feeling that doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? So yeah. when we check all three of these, we're really on 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 a different level of making decisions. Oh yeah. I mean, I can I've had countless times on fires where like something didn't feel right or something was off. And a hundred percent every time, yeah, something was definitely off. Yeah. Then again, I've had those gut feelings and nothing happened. I mean <laughs> absolutely, right? But being able to, I guess better identify those yeah this is a bad situation or this is a this my gut's telling me to do this and something that's not really i guess a gut feeling it's not a for sure thing right absolutely and and that's i just love this holistic approach of you know i guess this is a piece of that internal leadership because we've got to be in tune with ourselves to like really understand like is this the right decision or am i being scared of something? Is there like some major baggage coming up? Am I not at that peak performance? My, you know, especially that division task force and resource boss, like you're making decisions for a lot of people. And if you're not on point, like that's a big deal. Oh yeah, absolutely. But there's one question that I have here for you. It's uh, this concept of fear, right? I'm kind of one of those in that camp of believers that uh, think that fear is an excellent tool for survival. What is your concepts on fear? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And especially like anxiety, fear, and, and, and first fear is something more in the past, right? Like we're fearful of something like when we have a major fear, even a phobia, it's going to be tied to something in the past where anxiety is going to be more, you're fearful of something in the future, but it hasn't happened yet. There's a distinction there, but to me, fear is a problem when it's stuck. Like we're fear all the time. We have anxiety all the time. Now, if we release that trauma or whatever is creating that, and we have fear for, you know, say there's a tree coming down and you feel scared, like that's a good thing. Like you want to feel fear. You want to have that anxiety, like driving a type three engine down a really crappy road on that's fire on both sides. Like you should feel anxious right there. Like yeah. absolutely. And, and it's going to help you, you know, basically your entire your entire body goes into this fight or flight as we know, but you perform so much better in that moment and we survive so much better. And so it is a good thing. I totally agree with you. It's, it's when it gets stuck. It's when we're home and that fear is just on full throttle all the time. Can't sleep. We're just scared. That's the problem. I gotcha. So the problems with fear are basically either it's paralyzing you in your decision-making processes or even physically, or you're getting stuck in that work brain mode to where you're dragging that, that shit home with you. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, like we talked about before, usually there's a fear very young at an age that gets developed and it's just getting compounded and compounded with the stress with wild and fire. And so it's, it's really having that, that base, that foundational base of mental, emotional health that is going to make a resilient wildland firefighter. You know, if there's, there's major trauma in the, in the background in that person's life, it's, it's just going to build up until it, you know, becomes something way worse, like PTSD or phobia or something like that. And, um, it's, it, it's the compounding stress that really is, is the problem. Yeah. And we're faced with that as wildland firefighters. I mean, we're faced with that on a daily basis, almost, um, those compounding factors of stress, right? The tools within not only uh, the release, but also within your book, these are some of those tools that can help you overcome those. Yeah. And, and a big tool here is it's called an anchor. 
And what we do when we build an anchor for a client is basically um, is a very simplified version. And it's actually really simple. It's in the book. Um, but basically, you think of a time you were calm. like, And I mean, like you go back to that time, all the way back to that time, and you really see what you saw and you really hear what you heard and really feel what you felt until that time, that feeling takes over your entire body. And then you hit a stimulus, like you touch your knuckle, your index finger to your knuckle for like a little, like as soon as that, that calm feeling like releases from your body, then you let it go. And you do this over and over for like, um, basically, you know, maybe like 25 times and we'll stack some different, like calm, clear, decisive, those kind of states. And, and, uh, so after the exercise was so amazing is that basically you just touch your knuckle and all those memories, all those slides, all those things come up instantly and you feel it. You feel it inside your body. You feel that confidence. You feel that calm. And so having an anchor, not just operationally, but inside your mind is like critical in, in, in my, in my practices. You know, when I work with my firefighters, it's like, let's build this anchor for your mind. Cause then you can start building off that. And that's a big one for, I would call this state of being mastery. And like we said, like, you know, fear, anxiety on the line, it's going to be there. Like, it's a good thing. It's that when you're sitting in a safety zone, are you still shaking or not? Like, let's be resilient and do some work and overcome that so we can get back to peak performance as soon as possible. Okay. So it's kind of like a totem exercise, right? You have like grounding totems, kind of, but it's, it's more of like a, an active medicine, medic, active meditation. Jeez, I cannot find words tonight. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but it's more of like an active meditation to like ground yourself, right? So those repetitive motions. I know there's certain uh, sects in, I guess I think it's Tibet that do active meditation where they do the same repetitive motion over and over and over again, and it's a part of a meditation process. Absolutely, and so the big thing is that you don't have to do like the, the meditation again, this is like a one-time thing. And then it's like built into your knuckle. And so all I think you do is touch your knuckle Okay. and all they basically, it basically connects all of those images, all those thoughts, all those feelings neurologically. And so all you have to do is touch that knuckle. And it's a lot, it comes from the Pavlov's dog. Um, if we know that, you know, you ring the bell and you get the dog food over and over again. Well, all I have to do is ring the bell eventually and they're going to salivate. It's the exact same process, but we're, we're using, um, a, a different states of being so we can have access to that, um, and access that whenever we need it. And actually where this comes up, it's so interesting. Every wildland firefighter that chews does this process with tobacco. Like, you know, they sit down to sharpen their chainsaw and they're, they're calm. They're feeling good. They put in a chew, right? They're feeling calm and relaxed after dinner. They put in a chew. So when it's really stressful, they put in a chew and now they're feeling calmer, they're feeling safer. So it's, it's really interesting how it actually shows up already in the wildland fire, but how can we do it in a healthier way? Holy crap. A lot of things just started clicking, man. Every time I would make like a, a decision that had consequences when I was either in a leadership role or, you know, whatever, making decisions, whether it was falling a tree, deciding where to anchor, all that stuff. First thing I do is I'd assess the scene, but while I was doing that, I'd put a chew in. Absolutely, man. And it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's how we like cope with the stress on the line. It's just, it's part of our culture. And, you know, I would love to see that become healthier in some way. And, and, uh, 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting how the anchors. I mean, we we are anchored to everything. I mean, the anchors build themselves all the time around us, and, and a lot of times we actually have negative anchors where, you know, we we put our boots on, and now we have this anxiety, or we put you know some. There's a lot of even negative anchors out there. So that's that's a lot of what I do with my clients is like undoing those negative anchors as well. Yeah, Dr. Minda O's actually. She even said that. Yeah, you know. You take those boots off once you get home. That's supposed to be your your totem, right? Your your grounding tool. As soon as you take those boots off, you're supposed to get into the zone to where you're in home life. Right. Absolutely. It's it's um, you know, I think from my experience, I I think I almost had a totally different identity as a firefighter than I did at home, and and it was just such a different type of person, you know, super assertive and making decisions and like being that firefighter kind of classic person compared to being at home where I'm, I'm probably more like a silly, like 15 year old person when I'm with my wife, you know, and nobody's around. It's like a totally different identity that we have to step into as wildland firefighters. And in it's, um, I think that's a good thing. It can also be really hard on some people. Oh yeah. It's absolutely going to be hard on uh, a lot of people out there. And you know, we're coming into the time of year where it becomes the most difficult. You know, you have the slowdown, you're having people getting laid off. You have a lot of time to just sit there and reflect on the season. But a lot of times when you're reflecting, it's not in a healthy manner. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think to me, a piece of this is that we've been so on the go, just like roll after roll after roll after roll. I mean, some, you know, some people are like nine, 10 rolls this year. I'm sure it's, it's insane. Probably more than that. And, and so there's no real time to rest, recover and actually digest what's happened. And so as soon as we get laid off, as soon as the season slows down, it's like the entire fire season mentally and emotionally is just washing over you. And, and on top of maybe you've lost your identity with the layoff. Maybe, you know, I know that's a big problem for some people is that layoff is like, is, is a huge, huge deal. And on top of all that processing that's going on and, and unfortunately, like you're saying, usually that process um, gets buried through alcohol or drug abuse or something. And that's some sort of self medication. Yeah. It's a huge problem in our community. And, and um, you know, I, I hope people just try and deal with it in a better way. Yeah, and that's another thing too is like if we were to come up with some way to, you know, take that take that uniform off and uh, actually not only Minda confirmed this with the whole taking boots off but also Shannon Mead, a previous guest on my show talking about mental health. Um she did a she was talking about how uh police officers would come home and as soon as they got home they'd take off their their vest, right? And that was like their cue to go into home life. Once they took off that vest, which is, you know, has a lot of weight, it's constricting. Once you take that, it's like literally taking weight off your shoulders. Yeah, it's it's so powerful. And and you know, something like something that I went through, I would say last fall, you know, my first like, okay, like I'm quitting fire, like this is it. Um, you know, I would go on my little PT hikes, you know, or go on a hunting or something. And as soon as I threw a backpack on, it was like full on negative anchor for me. It was just like, you know not like almost like, okay, where's the radios? Where's the helicopters? Where's my chainsaw? Let's get after it. And it was just like, you know, it's like, whoa, that's not what's going on. I'm actually having a nice time right now and hunting or going on a PT hike or something. And it's like one of those things for me, it was a pack, like putting on that pack. And that was a big one for me to like, actually 
let that go. And, and I think a big one, you'll see, like you can spot a wildland firefighter in a grocery store with his wife or partner, because they're walking so fast, right? With purpose. Like, it, it, there's so many things like that, that we do. That's so unconscious. That's so just programmed into us from the job. It's, it's, um, there's a lot to unpack in the winter time. And, and to me, I think that's why the breakthrough sessions is so important to really rest, recover and digest that fire season. Like it's, it really is a big deal to actually get out of that sympathetic nervous system and get back into that parasympathetic where we can really rest and really build our immune system back and, and, and be healthy, you know, because for me, in my experience, like, have you ever seen like hot shots in October and child lines? Like they look malnourished. Like they look physically sick because their bodies are so taxed and so beyond science at that point. Right. Like we talked about, like we got to recover from that. Like we got to really like have a good winter season of health. Right. Yeah. But they also, the token to that too, is you have to not go from 120 miles an hour in one direction, then just slamming that car into reverse. And that's oftentimes what we do. Shit, yeah, I, I've been guilty of it. Absolutely. And that's that's a tough transition. And how how do we navigate that properly? And that's that's a big question. And I think um honestly finding support, like finding any support that you need is super important because that you're right, going from hundred miles an hour to nothing or even going reverse is it's um it can be shocking to the system, shocking to the mind body, you know. Oh, absolutely. And even more so when if if you make the decision to get out of fire, because I've definitely been guilty of this, is I still carry those those concepts of my identity as a firefighter into what I do now. And I have nothing to do. I don't have a foot in the black anymore. It's like it's like I'm very far removed from it. However, I still have those demons, man. And it's yeah. it doesn't change if you get out of fire, if you are seasonal if you're full time, we still need to address these issues. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think some of this stuff isn't just wildland fire. It's kind of this epidemic level in our culture of, of just going, going, going until we basically drop. Right. Um, it, it, it's a culture wide thing. And I think it's just like, it's just maxed out full throttle and wildland firefighters. Cause we, we have to be, we have to be at that level for 16 hours a day for, you know, a hundred days a year now. Oh, hundred percent, man. Side note here. You know how you're talking about building an anchor, even subconsciously with the chew. Mm-hmm. I used to actually have the, um, anxiety about wearing a pack. So whenever I'd go hunting or fishing or anything like that, and I'd throw a pack on, it was like instant anxiety. Or even if I were traveling for like work or something like that, or even for leisure, if I threw on a pack, I'd have that same anxiety. I'd be in work mode, like moving with a purpose, like I was going to a fire or something stupid, right? I'm not. But subconsciously, I didn't even know I realized I did this, but I took one of those concepts you're talking about and I put on a pack and I go fly fishing. So I'd associate wearing a pack with doing something enjoyable. And I'd it just now clicked that I did that. Nice, man. You collapsed a negative anchor all by yourself. That's amazing. Well, love that's the, the Copenhagen thing too, but I don't chew Copenhagen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The, the, the reason why I'm bringing that up though, is I wonder if there's some techniques that you could do to get rid of those negative emotions, those negative tendencies, those negative thoughts, 
something like that? I mean, anything you'd recommend to the audience that's listening to rebuild those anchors? So, so really what we do, and, and this would be like an addition to the book in here, but, um, what this is, this can be kind of a tough exercise, but basically what I would do is, is do two knuckles. One knuckle is going to be like the, like 25 to like 50 positive states. Like you're going to really max out this first knuckle of like really, really happy. And then, um, you're actually going to anchor into that negative feeling into that second anchor. And then probably, you know, five to 10, like we're not going to really like max it up. So you want to have like a phobic response or have like an anxiety attack, but, um, basically, you know, as a practitioner, what I would do is, is you would actually fire off that negative anchor for like, a, and then a couple seconds later, like keep that same, same knuckle on and, and, and actually fire that positive anchor. And what that does is it neurologically links those two things. And so whenever that negative anchor comes up, it automatically goes to that positive. So it basically collapses it and it just doesn't happen anymore. Now, what you're saying, what you did that is a beautiful way to do that on your own is to like, Hey, let's go put your boots on and go do something really positive or whatever that negative anchor is for you. Go do something really positive until that anchor gets collapsed or, or it's associated. Like you said, with something else, like you did it perfectly. Um, but that's what I would do as a practitioner, if that makes sense. And, and we call that like collapsing an anchor and uh, it's huge. It, we have so many negative anchors as wildland firefighters. I mean, a big one's driving, right? I think a lot of people deal with that of like, as soon as you get in the truck, like your truck at home, you go to the grocery store, it's like white knuckle, like you're, you're freaking out. Cause it's like, there's fire. There's no fire going to the grocery store. Oh, absolutely. And that, the occurrence of vehicle accidents, I mean, that's one of the more dangerous things that we actually do, even though we don't really tend to think of it that way. Statistically yeah, it is. Absolutely. And, and I think to me, this is one of those, like, I, there's a couple of things that we do in fire, like repelling and jumping. There's a certain sequence where things have to be perfectly done in a row in a perfect steps. And to me, those, those things are super dangerous, like, but driving is on par with that, where you have to, especially all, all the type three captains out there you know what I'm talking about, where, and it's like, you have to be so on point on driving in those fire situations on those mountainous roads. Like those trucks are not made to go where we go. Not even close. No way. It's, it's insane what we do with those trucks and the exposure we, we put ourselves in on those, those cut banks that are 2000 feet down the riverbank. Like I've driven those, we've all driven them. It's, oh, yeah. it's gut wrenching. Oh yeah. And that's the thing is like, you, you kind of inherently develop a fear response or an anxiety response to a situation like that. But also you, normalize it at the same time because you do it so often over a long enough time frame. Yeah. I think this is, this is something that, um, that I really realized actually this summer because I went on one role with a private contractor and, and I haven't done fire all year. I didn't PT. I wasn't like, man, I was not in shape to crap. I was like, I'm going, I'm doing it. And what I realized when I was out there on the line is like, this is so much more stressful than I remember. Like, this is insane. Like, wow, there's a lot of stress here. And I had to do a lot of work to like be resilient through that. Um, I wasn't in that space all summer long. Right. And it made me realize we normalize the stress factor so much that we, we take a stressful situation. that's like a nine or a 10, like, it's like a one man. It's no big deal. Like you almost got killed by a tree. It is a big deal. Like it, it just happens every day. Like that stress normalization is, is a big problem we have in the fire community. And, and that's a big thing to tackle. Oh yeah. And that's the thing. If you're to throw any 
Joe Blow average citizen out there on the line, they'd probably look at you like you're fucking nuts. But we have a mission to do, right? So we, we have no choice but to normalize it. Being aware of that now, that's a different story. Right, right. And how we become aware of it and how do we like play that into our risk management, right? And I think that's a huge piece of this, like is is plugging that into that risk management protocol of like, are we normalizing something here or 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 not? And you know, I think we normalize everything in a lot of ways. And it's a tough thing to stand back and take a look at it from a bigger picture, a different perspective, and say, you know, is this actually the right decision? Oh, absolutely. And even goes even more into that we normalize so much that we get into situations where we have operational blindness yeah absolutely and i I think gosh it comes up so much you know when i think back to like being a crew boss and really working with divisions and op chiefs and stuff like that on large fires and it's like i think these guys would just have the craziest ideas and have these huge operational plans like what are you thinking like where's the safety zone involved in this like you're gonna have to build 10 safety zones to pull this off. And I'm not going to do it. Like there's so many times where there's, there's blindness to that LCS. And I guess to me, I, I always went back to that. Like I want my LCS and I want it right here. And I guess I'm super conservative in that way, but um, yeah, I, I think we just, we just normalize the risk factor as well. Like so much. Get you in a lot of trouble really quick, but I, I think that the the culture is changing to be, better i mean they're not perfect by any means of course but i mean it's getting i think it's getting a little bit better but i have a very narrow viewpoint of it now because i'm not in the game so i'm not the outside looking in from a thirty thousand foot view and trying to see what has changed and what is changing it's different yeah yeah absolutely and i would say my one assignment this year i felt um i could see the change in the team of them being super conservative compared to 5 7 years ago and i was like this is great like they're actually doing a really good job of pulling people out like way before they should have you know not should have but you know what i mean like where before we would have you know where we would have kind of more old school mentality is like they pull people out way sooner and just like i saw a lot more conservative like being conservative than i was i was pretty surprised by that so i i do agree with you i think it's changing but like you said i'm not super plugged in either anymore yeah but that's the thing too is like with that whole idea of being conservative or you know aggressive with your tactics i think there's a happy medium because you can be such thing as too conservative right you always fight Mm -hmm. fire safely right but you also have to fight fire aggressively so where's that balance and i think we're after decades of fire the go direct all the time and burn it out and all this other shit right i mean we're we're, we're trying to get into a, a better concept of fighting fire still aggressively but a lot more intelligently yeah absolutely and i think that's a big one you know i'll go back to is being the most flexible is gonna is gonna win every single time and and um, I always go back to that because I think flexibility is so important. And, and you know, we know that from fire, like you got to be fluid. Everything's going to change on a drop of a dime, but it's like, how much more open can we be to that? Because there is a time to be aggressive. There is a time to get after it and get it done and get that whole division tied up when you can, because the weather's going to change. Otherwise we all know what happens. Right. So I agree. There's a happy medium. And, and I think we're still learning that in this new normal, like, 
we're still kind of like unsure of, of exactly what that looks like. And that's just my opinion. I don't know if that's, that's real or not, but that's just kind of what I see. Well, I think that the fire game has changed and it's going to continue to change. Um, even Booker, uh, one of my previous guests here, he was, I think the, yeah, two episodes ago. So Mark Booker even said that he, uh, he's kind of not fearful or worried about his son who's on hot shots here, but he's, uh, he has an elevated level of concern because the fires that he was fighting when he first started his career are vastly different to the fires that his son is fighting today. Yeah, absolutely. And last year I was in California for a detail, like all summer, I just remember being, you know, we're like three, four miles from the fire putting in like an indirect line. And, and I just remember thinking like, this isn't even close to far enough away. And that's totally different because I remember being miles. Yeah. You know, you'd go over one Ridge or a mile and like the fire would never get there. But nowadays it's, you just don't know, man, that fire might blow out a hundred thousand acres in the afternoon. Like that's common now. That's totally different. It's pretty wild. Some of the fire behavior we're seeing, even though like on the Dixie fire, you're having, you know, hundred thousand acre runs in an operational shift. That's unheard of, especially in dense timber. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I just think it's, it's, it's just a different environment now. Just, you know, who knows what the cause is, but it's just a different environment. We got to adapt to it. And, and I think the environment has been a huge piece in like the elevation of our mental health crisis. I, I think it's a big piece of it because the stress is just going up and up. And I think you're right. Like what you said before is like the new normal, the stress, the fire behavior, everything is going up, but there's less funding. There's less people. There's less experience, you know, in, in my understand there's a gigantic gap between single resource and like ops, like divisions, task force. It's those people are gone. Oh yeah. And, and there's nobody getting signed off to replace that. And I think this is, this is going to be a big problem in the future. I see it being a gigantic problem coming up soon. I think even more problematic is those legendary people of fire, the people with the high up quals, you know, your OSC ones and stuff like that. I mean, they're, they're coming to an age of retirement shit. A lot of them are even ADs. They're retired. They're just doing it because they like to, or they're bored or something like that. You know, it's, it's coming to a head. And I think that with the attrition rates that we're experiencing now compounded by the environment and all of the other myriad of reasons why we're having this extreme fire behavior and entering into this new era of fire. I mean, it's, it's kind of dangerous. It's going to get dangerous and it's, it's kind of scary. And I have a, a, a little bit of anxiety for the future of wildland fire due to these reasons. Now we can't pin it on any single cause, right? Any one of these, individual things. We can't boil it down to one cause of why we can't get fire under control. It's a combination of all of these factors, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, and I think it's just, you know, one of those gigantic cycles in, in, in planet earth that it's just going to get hotter and warmer. And, and, you know, maybe there's some man-made stuff going on that's probably accelerating that by so much, but it's like, it's, I think it's beyond that. I, I, I think there's, well, I'm going to go pretty deep here, but to me, I think there's a transformation going on culturally and on this planet where fire is like the symbol of transformation. And I think there's actually some consciousness stuff going on as well. And I think 
along with the climate change, there, there's a lot going on in our planet and it's not just physical um, is what I would say. And I think the fire is like a manifestation of that. And it's just going to get worse and worse for the time. I mean, I don't know. That's the way I see it. I mean, it could be, but time will tell. <laughs> the good old adage, time will tell. Absolutely. It's wild, man. But yeah, we've uh, entertained a lot of these um, ideas, these concepts in your new book, um, Six Minutes for Excellence. And I'm really stoked to see when it comes out. So you have a pre-release going on, a pre-order. And when does that open up? So yeah, pre-order opens October 1st. And then uh, the book releases, um, the ebook will release November 1st. And then November 15th will be the the paperback will be out. So Hell yeah, man. I'm looking forward to uh, watching this thing un- unfold. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to pick up a copy and check it out because I, I, I yeah. love this stuff. I, I'm fascinated by the alternative uh, point of view. Um, yeah, it's not for everybody, but I enjoy it. And if anybody out there is that's listening to this or watching this on YouTube, definitely check this out. And uh, we can find that at... So the, yeah, you can find it at mountainmindtricks.com and, uh, that's the main place to find me and the books and everything. And, um, it'll be on Instagram and, and, um, you know, my Facebook group, the wildland firefighter mental health group that will all be there. So that thing's blown up by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, just, um, check it out there. The links will be widely available on the website. And, and, uh, one big thing is, is, you know, being a best-selling author is like a big big like bucket list for me. It's a big dream. But what's more important is I, as I want this book to go to as many firefighters as possible. And it's, it's kind of built as a guide to where I want it to be in a center console for those severity roles. So you can pick out a chapter, read it and like, up, you know, up level the crew. And, and something I'm doing is, you know, if, if we get the community together and hit that number one bestseller, I'm going to donate $500 to the, the wildland firefighter foundation. So everybody just help with the pre-orders and, and check it out because it's going to be, it took a while to write. It's going to be an amazing book. There's some amazing tidbits just going to further the culture. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And concepts of health, leadership, and investing in your future, man. That's, that's huge. That's beneficial to anybody, not even just in fire. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, the core things are like leadership, um, peak performance. And I really go deep into like fitness training, um, nutrition, uh, visualizations. And then, and then really the, I would say the last section is really all about managing strong emotions. Like how do we manage our mindset? And, you know, there's, there's just a lot of techniques in there. It's basically, I want to make it kind of like a field guide of how to be an excellent wildland firefighter. That's the best way I can explain it. That's perfect, man. Cause no one's ever written a book on it before. So you'd be the first. <laughs> and a lot of these concepts, I mean, they're utterly invaluable. I mean, they're huge. They're that very, very important. So the uh, more people that will pick this up and pick out those little tidbits, the better. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be awesome, man. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. Right on. Well, I'm excited too, man. So yeah. So once again, we can find you on your socials, mountain mind tricks and then mountainmindtricks.com correct? Yep. Mountainmindtricks.com. Check that out. Mountainmindtricks on Instagram and then the Wildland Firefighter Mental Health uh, Facebook group. Sweet, man. Yeah. And uh, I'll definitely put in all the notes in my or all the relevant links to my show notes. And uh, yeah, we'll get that thing out there to the world. So other than that, coming to the end of the show, as per tradition, I always like to give you the opportunity to give a shout out to a homie, hero, mentor, or several. Take it away, man. 
Holy moly. Um, I want to shout out to Rick Lancaster, uh, one of my engine captains growing up, uh, one of the best leaders of my entire career. And I just want to shout out to Rick, dude. I love you. And congratulations on the new wife and baby and life and everything you had got going on, man. I love you. And um, yeah. Hell yeah, man. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah. I'm excited to see your book come out. This is going to be cool. This is going to be a good one. Uh, Awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's an amazing conversation we had. Hell yeah, dude. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And boom, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good friend, Thomas Worm from Mountain Mind Tricks. Dude, I am so stoked for your new book, Six Minutes for Excellence. We all uh, preach six minutes for safety, but... What about the excellence portion of that? So it's an interesting concept and an interesting play on the norm of what we do already. And I uh, look forward to your book coming out here. Speaking of which, look in those show notes. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to drop some links in the show notes and on social media to uh, basically get you this book. So pre-orders are going on right now. Well, pretty soon at least. Should be uh, October 1st, I believe is going to be the pre-order session for six minutes for excellence. So if you guys want to check that out, check out the show notes, but it explores topics like mastering communication, leading yourself before leading others, applying mental tools to achieve peak performance, embracing holistic wellness strategies and releasing mental emotional baggage. It is pretty cool. And it's active medication, not medication. It's active meditation and it's pretty cool. So some of those concepts that we explore in uh, this episode and in his book can be found in six minutes for excellence. So once again, check out those show notes for everybody else out there. Welcome to the tail end of the season. This is going to be the hard part. So uh, yeah, do your due diligence, stay engaged, contact a uh, mental health clinician if you need to. Hell, even contact uh, Mr. Worm over here at Mountain Mind Tricks and see if you need to uh, schedule an appointment with him and do some mental emotional release. It is effective and it's awesome. So hope everybody's doing well. Special shout out to our sponsors. We got Mystery Ranch, purveyors of the finest damn packs and the most comfortable packs and the most well-built packs in the wildfire game. And they're giving back to the community. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out the Backbone series. It's freaking rad. We've got Hotshot Brewery, kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and all of the sweet merchandise and apparel and tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. So go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com. We've got the ass movement, the finest in poo-bearing propaganda. Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and enter code ANCHORPOINT10 for 10% off your entire order. And last but not least, we've got the Smoky Generation. Go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. Bethany, keep it up. As for the rest of you, you guys all know the drill. Have fun. Stay safe. Stay savage. Peace. Peace.